Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you know that God exists? How do you really know that there is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite? How can we even discover that? Well, the one answer, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that there has to be a cause for everything that had a cause, that had a beginning. There has to be an uncaused first cause of everything that had a beginning. In other words, the law of cause and effect shows us that there has to be a being that we would call God with the attributes I just mentioned. And there are several ways that you can demonstrate that this being must exist. Typically, when I go to a college campus or a church, I'm giving three major arguments for the existence of God. The argument from the beginning of the universe, the argument from the design of the universe and the design of life, and the argument from the fact that there is an objective moral law out there, that we have objective moral obligations. Here's my problem, though. (laughs) I rarely get to talk about those arguments in any great detail. Normally, when I'm on a college campus, and by the way, we're going to be this coming week at Ball State University in Indiana. That's going to be on Tuesday. I want to say that's the 28th. Is that the 28th? Let me look at my calendar here. I believe it is. I believe it is March 28th. Yes. And then on March 30th, a Thursday night, we're going to be at Indiana Purdue University. That is in Indianapolis. All the details are on our website. And then on April 6th, we're going to be at Ohio State University. The week after that, a few uh, colleges in Louisiana. All the details on our website. Anyway, I digress. When, I, when I'm presenting, I'm trying to present a, a big picture argument for Christianity. So we start with does truth exist? And then we talk about does God exist? And that's where I go through those three arguments. And then we talk about are miracles possible? And then finally, we get to the New Testament. And if we can show that Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity follows from that. Because if God exists and Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. In any event, I can only sort of cover these arguments at a at a 10,000 foot level. I rarely get to talk about them in any great detail. And so what I want to do today is talk about one or two of them in more detail than I than I can in front of a live audience. And as you know, uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, write or co-write three books that touch on all these arguments. Of course, one is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist written with uh, Dr. Norman Geiser. The other is called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. That was a book I wrote by uh, myself with, 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 of course, a lot of help from other people. Uh, Authors, (laughs) they may write most of it, but they always get help from other people in doing it. And then the third book, the most recent book, that's an apologetics book. I know it doesn't sound like an apologetics book, but it is. It's called Hollywood Heroes, 
how your favorite movies reveal God. I wrote that, co-wrote that with my son, Zach, who also has a seminary degree. And in that book, we actually fold apologetics and biblical life lessons and uh, philosophy and theology into a discussion of the top movie franchises of the past several decades. Turns out they all steal from the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus. So Hollywood Heroes is kind of a fun way to look at some of the apologetic evidence that uh, God exists and Jesus rose from the dead. In any event, what I want to do today is talk a little bit about the cosmological argument. That's the first argument we normally speak of. And it's the argument that says that the if the universe had a beginning, it must have had a beginner. And there's a lot of evidence that the universe indeed did have a beginning. Actually, before I get that, let me set this up this way. When we say that uh, we're looking for causes, this is, of course, what scientists do. Whenever they see an effect, they're trying to reason back to discover what caused the effect. This is what science does, is it search for causes. And so when someone asks you, how do you know that God exists? Here's what I think you ought to say. I know God exists because I believe in the law of cause and effect. I believe that every effect must have a cause. And when I look around reality, I realize that there are many effects that need causes. And the best cause or the cause that explains these effects is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent being who created and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. In fact, uh, one effect, of course, is the universe itself. People say they don't believe in miracles. I normally say, look around, you're living in one. This universe is a miracle that it literally exploded into being out of nothing. In fact, I'll, we're going to look at some of that evidence here in this program. That space, matter, and time had a beginning. So if this creation is an effect, we have to reason back to a cause, a creator. We're also going to see, if we can get to it today, that the universe is designed, that it's fine-tuned, that it's an effect as well. The design of the universe is an effect. So, and, and the design in life, we see, is also an effect. So if that's the effect, say the universe or life, some aspect of reality inside the universe, or the universe itself is designed, we're reasoning back to a cause of designer. We're going from effect back to cause. If we have a moral law written on our hearts, that's the effect. We're reasoning back to a cause, a moral lawgiver. If we have a uh, ability to reason, we have the ability to think, we have these laws of logic that we traffic in all the time, that's the effect. We're reasoning back to a cause, a mind. If there's evidence that a man actually predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead, that's the effect. The question we're going to ask is, what could have caused a man to be able to predict and rise from the dead, predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then rise from the dead? Only a being like God. So we're reasoning from effect to cause. Even if you think you have some sort of spiritual experience with God, that God has somehow revealed something to you through his Holy Spirit, you're saying that that effect, that experience is an effect, and you're reasoning back to a cause, God. So we're always reasoning from effect to cause. That's what scientists do. And as you know, science just means knowledge. That's what the natural scientists do. They see effects in the universe, and they're trying to reason back to a cause of the effect. That's what we're doing as theologians. And the queen of all sciences is theology. 
because theology takes into account every other discipline of science or every other, uh, every other discipline of human thought, if you think about it. It takes into account physics. It takes into account biology. It takes into account history. It takes into account anthropology. It takes into account every, virtually every version of academic inquiry theology takes and, fix, and fits it under one big umbrella. All of this truth actually points back to God. That all of this can be interpreted in the light of a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. So, we're always reasoning from effect to cause. Now, let's look at the biggest effect out there. The biggest effect out there is the universe itself. Where did this universe come from? Because scientists thought it was eternal for centuries. They thought that the universe was eternal. In fact, philosophers for many years thought it was eternal. Scientists thought it was eternal until the 20th century when we began to see evidence that, no, the universe is not eternal. Space, time, and matter literally had a beginning, and it had a beginning out of nothing, meaning there was no space, time, or matter, and then suddenly there was. The question is, what evidence do we have for that? And then secondly, what could have caused that? That's what we're going to look at in this program here today. The actual evidence that space, time, and matter had a beginning and what could have caused it. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. We're back in just two minutes, so don't go anywhere. How do we know that God exists, ladies and gentlemen? We're looking at arguments for the existence of God today. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. I normally don't get a chance to go deep into these arguments uh, in a college campus or even a church event because we have limited time to cover the complete argument for Christianity. But now let's drill down into how we know that the universe had a beginning, which is one piece of evidence, or it comprises, which comprises an argument that God actually exists. And uh, in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we have a several lines of evidence that the universe had a beginning. Let me, we won't go through all of them. Let me use an acronym that'll help us. Sure, S-U-R-E. We are sure the universe had a beginning. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics, which basically says that everything is running down. The universe is running down. It's running out of usable energy. The total amount of energy in the universe is constant, but the amount of usable energy compared to the amount of unusable energy is changing. The amount of usable energy is decreasing. Therefore, the amount of unusable energy is increasing. Ultimately, we're gonna run out of energy. Ultimately, we know that that sun is going to burn out. All the stars are going to burn out. We're going to go to heat death. In fact, in science now, there is a discipline or maybe a, 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 uh, a study of the universe that they call, believe it or not, eschatology, last things, that the universe is ultimately going to run down. It's going to run out of energy. 
and you say, okay, yeah, th that makes sense. Things do tend to run down. The second law of thermodynamics is why you got to paint your house, right? It's why you got to continue to take energy in to keep your body going. It's why when we get old, we get run down. We get dresser disease. That's when our chest falls into our drawers, you know? It's, it's why that when you hit my age at 61, you go to bed and you wake up with pains you didn't have when you went to bed. Now you know you're getting you know you're getting old when you get hurt sleeping, okay? But it's the second law of thermodynamics. We're running out of usable energy. Well, how does this show the universe had a beginning? Well, if the universe was eternal, in other words, if it didn't have a beginning, and the second law of thermodynamics has been in place from the beginning, then we would have run out of energy a long time ago. Because we, because we only have so much here. But since some energy is still out there, where the lights are still on, the sun is still burning, the stars are still out there, this whole show must have had a beginning. In fact, you can look at it this way. Think of the universe as a dying flashlight. Uh, in other words, think of the universe as having a limited, amount, a limited amount of usable energy, as if it had batteries. Well, if suppose we had a flashlight and we turned the flashlight light on an infinitely long time ago, would there be any light coming out of the flashlight right now? No, the batteries would have run out a long time ago. But if we come across a flashlight that's been on and it's there's still light coming out of it, we know that flashlight was not turned on an infinitely long time ago. It was turned out. It was turned on recently because the batteries haven't run out yet. Well, the same thing is true of the universe. If the universe didn't have a beginning, the batteries of the universe would have run out by now, but they haven't. Therefore, time had a beginning. In fact, space-time and matter had a beginning, as we'll see. So the second law of thermodynamics is something that is one of these laws that doesn't seem to have any exceptions. In fact, many years ago, Arthur Eddington, who was a contemporary of Einstein and actually verified that Einstein's theory of general relativity was correct, once said this, and this is from the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we're quoting him. He says, the law that entropy increases, the second law of thermodynamics, holds, I think, the supreme position among the laws of nature. If someone points out to you that your pet theory of the universe is in disagreement with Maxwell's equations, then so much for Maxwell's equations. If it is found to be con contradicted by observation, well, these experiments do bungle things sometimes. But if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I, get, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation, unquote. <laughs> in other words, there's no known exception to the second law. That's why the U.S. Patent Office will never give anyone a patent for perpetual motion machine, things are running down. If they're running down, and yet they haven't run down completely at this point, then the universe had a beginning. And if it's running down, somebody must have wound it up. So this is the S in our acronym for the beginning of the universe. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics. The U stands for the fact that the universe is expanding, that the galaxies out there are moving away from us. And Edwin Hubble discovered this in the 1920s uh, at his Mount Wilson Observatory telescope above Pasadena, California there. He looked out at the stars and he noticed the redshift from the light coming from the stars. And he discovered they were galaxies. And you say redshift, what does that mean? 
If the galaxies are moving away, the light would be shifted red. If the galaxies were moving toward us, the light would be shifted blue. Virtually all the galaxies, there may have been an exception or two in there, but virtually all the galaxies were moving away from us. If they're moving away from us, in other words, the universe is expanding, then if you were to go back in time, all those galaxies would be getting closer and closer and closer to us to the point they would have collapsed back actually to a single point called a singularity, a point of infinite density, which if you think about it is sort of a category mistake. You can't have an infinitely dense, finite thing. Basically, what it really means, a singularity is that space-time and matter go to zero, that there was no space-time and matter. It was the creation point. So going back in time, based on Hubble's observations, you would get back to a point where there wasn't a dense pellet that exploded. There was abs absolutely nothing, no space, time, or matter. And then the universe came into existence, which was later coined by Sir Fred Hoyle, the Big Bang. And Sir Fred Hoyle, an atheist, didn't want the Big Bang to be true. He put that name on what turned out to be the theory of the creation in a kind of pejorative way. It was sort of a mock. What are you going to call this new theory? The Big Bang? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what we'll call it. In fact, at that point, Sir Fred Hoyle was a believer, as many scientists were, in the steady state. What's the steady state? That the universe is static and eternal. It's always been here. Therefore, it doesn't need an external cause. Yet when Hubble discovered his expanding universe or discovered that the universe was expanding this created a problem for the steady state proponents now in about 1948 scientists had suggested that you know the universe probably had a, a creation event and it probably began in a great explosion so there ought to be remnant heat from the initial explosion still out there but nobody really bothered to look for this remnant heat until two scientists by the name of Penzias and Wilson working in Bell Labs at home in, in a town called Homedale, New Jersey, not far from where I grew up. In fact, we used to run our cross-country races at Homedale State Park. In any event, Penzias and Wilson literally discovered the radiation afterglow, the remnant heat from the Big Bang explosion. And that's the R in our acronym, SURE. Remember, S stands for Second Law of Thermodynamics. U stands for the fact that the universe is expanding. R stands for the radiation afterglow, the smoking gun to the Big Bang. They discovered the heat from the Big Bang explosion. It's still out there. It's just a couple of degrees above absolute zero, but they were able to detect it, to, to detect it by a big antenna that was there in Homedale, New Jersey. Initially, when they discovered this remnant heat, uh, they thought, which apparently came through a static somehow, they thought, oh, this is odd. We're getting this from, no matter which way we turn the antenna, what, what, what is that? And they, they looked in this big antenna and they discovered there were pigeons nesting in there. So they got these pigeon traps to get them out of there, they thought the pigeons maybe were causing this strange static and the pigeon poop as well. So they got the pigeons out of there and then they cleaned the poop out of there. They went back inside and the static was still there. 
and they realized they had discovered the cosmic background radiation, or also known as the radiation afterglow. Now, this discovery basically put the, put the nail in the coffin of the steady state theory. The people who still believed in the steady state theory really couldn't believe it after the 1965 discovery of the radiation afterglow. In fact, agnostic astronomer Robert Jastrow put it this way. He said, no explanation other than the Big Bang has been found for the fireball radiation. The clincher, which has convinced almost the last doubting Thomas, is that the radiation discovered by Penzias and Wilson, by the way, that's Arno, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, has exactly the pattern of wavelengths expected for the light and heat produced in a great explosion. Supporters of the steady state theory have tried desperately to find an alternative explanation, but they have failed. At the present time, the Big Bang Theory has no competitors. Now, it was Jastrow who said that, I think, in 1978. By the way, in 1978, that's the year that Penzias and Wilson won the Nobel Prize in Physics for discovering the radiation afterglow. Now, since Jastrow has written that, nothing's changed in terms of the Big Bang being the leading theory for the creation of the universe, that the universe had a beginning out of nothing. The only question is what caused the Big Bang? We'll get to it. In fact, as William Lane Craig has put it, the past uh, several decades have been one failed alternative theory after another trying to explain in a naturalistic way how the universe came into existence out of nothing. And all of them have failed. The standard Big Bang cosmological theory that the universe had a beginning out of nothing remains as the best description of the facts. That the universe came into existence out of nothing. That's not even controversial anymore. What's controversial is what caused it. The evidence everyone seems to agree with, at least most scientists agree, yeah, space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing. The only question is, what could have caused that? And as we said earlier, if we're going to be scientific, science is built on cause and effect. If you can't assume the law of causality, that every effect has a cause, you can't do science because that's what scientists do. That's what science is. It's a search for causes. You're trying to explain effects by causes. And if the universe had a beginning, in other words, if the universe is an effect, that would certainly suggest very strongly it has a cause. The only question is, what kind of cause could have created space, time, and matter? What kind of cause could have created all of nature? Probably it seems only something beyond nature, something super nature. We'll get to it right after the break. You're listening to Frank Turek on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Back in two minutes. How do we know that God exists, ladies and gentlemen? We're going through the evidence that the universe had a beginning. And it seems if it had a beginning, it had to have a beginner. That's what the law cause and effect would tell us. Well, then who made God? We'll get there. You're listening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. Now, the fact that the universe had a beginning, that God created the universe, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's the first verse, obviously, of the book of Genesis. But isn't it essential of the faith to believe that that happened a thousand or 
several thousand years ago, rather than the Big Bang cosmology suggests several billion years ago. Is that an essential of the faith? In fact, what does the Bible say? Does it really say that the universe was created so many thousands of years ago rather than billions of years ago? We're actually going to be covering that and other essentials of the faith in the course called Life's Compass, Jesus, You, and the Essentials of the Faith. It's going to start next week. It's going to start March 27th. You can still join during March 27th because uh, the first Zoom is the week after. If you're joining the premium version, that's where you'll be on live with me on six different occasions for live uh, Zoom Q&A. But we're going to cover the essentials of the faith. And I think this is really important, ladies and gentlemen, because so many people today are claiming they're Christians and they're really not. They're not Christians in the sense that they agree with the historic Christian faith and the essentials of the historic Christian faith. We're going to cover what those essentials are. We're going to talk what is the Bible all about? How do faith and works relate? How do faith and reason relate? What does it mean to be made in God's image? Who is Jesus? What are the essentials of salvation? What is God like? Why is the resurrection so important? What is faith and why does God want it? Actually, we're covering a lot more than that. It's 17 hours of video for this uh, online course. It'll take several weeks to get through. Uh, but you and I will be together on six occasions for live Q&A, as I mentioned. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You will see it there. And by the way, the reason we call it Life's Compass is because it's something my friend John Stone Street over there at uh, Breakpoint once gave an illustration, which I find very fascinating. He said, imagine if you're, you're lost in the woods and you've got to get back to your base camp and you're completely turned around. You don't know how to get back. All you have is a all you have is a magnetic compass to help you get back. And you know, a magnetic compass is supposed to point to magnetic north. If you can figure out where north is, you can get back to base camp. But suppose you take out this compass and instead of pointing to magnetic north, the compass always points to you. No matter which way you turn, the compass points to you. How helpful is that compass going to be? It's not going to be helpful at all, right? You know where you are. You're trying to figure out where north is so you can get back home. Well, a lot of people think that the compass of life points to them, that they're the authority on life, that they're the authority on how life ought to be lived and what's really right, true, and good, when in reality, God is the authority, the God who created and sustains us, the God who came into this universe to save us and to give us an opportunity to be reconciled to him. And if we don't want to be reconciled to him, we won't be. We'll be quarantined from him will be in a place called hell. He gives us that choice to either be with him or be separated from him forever. Look, if you don't want Jesus now, you're not going to want him in eternity. We'll talk about this and much more in Life's Compass. Jesus, you and the essentials of the faith, check it out. Now, we're going through in this program, and for those of you listening on the radio, by the way, on American Family Radio, the great American Family Radio Network, led by the great Tim Wildman, uh, that a radio network, as you know, has about 180 stations. This broadcast, uh, as you're listening to it right now, is on those 180 stations, but we have a midweek pop podcast, which is not. And if you want to hear that, it comes out on Tuesday. Uh, you can tune into the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast for that. All right, so let's go back to the evidence. We're going through the acronym SURE, S-U-R-E, so far, we've been through the S, which stands for the second law of thermodynamics. This shows the universe had a beginning, as well as the U, the fact that the universe is expanding. We just talked about the R, the radiation afterglow. This is the remnant heat from the initial Big Bang explosion. And then E, Einstein's theory of general relativity. That's the E in sure. 
And Einstein knew way back in about uh, 1916 or so that space, time and matter were correlative, that they had uh, a beginning together, that space, time and matter literally came into existence out of nothing. But at the time, he didn't like that conclusion. It, it was irritating to him. He didn't want it to be true that the universe had a beginning. Yet that's what the evidence showed him. That's what his own theory of general relativity showed him. And then in 1919, Arthur Eddington, whom I mentioned earlier, actually took some photographs of, of light coming uh past uh, large objects during an eclipse. And he noticed that light bended, was bended by these large objects, uh, the sun, I guess, uh, other heavenly bodies. I can't remember exactly how Eddington did this, but he was able to discover that light was bent by large objects and that confirmed Einstein's theory of general relativity. At that point, General relativity was merely just on paper. He hadn't had any empirical evidence for it. And then that, that eclipse experiment that Eddington conducted confirmed Einstein's theory of general relativity. But he still didn't like it. It wasn't until about 1929, I think it was, when he went to Mount Wilson and met and met uh, Edwin Hubble at the Mount Wilson Observatory and looked through Hubble's telescope and discovered that the galaxies were moving away from us, as Hubble had said, did he finally say, you know, general relativity is right. Previously, he had put some kind of fudge factor into his equations to try and keep the universe static and eternal, a fudge factor to counter gravity. So the universe wouldn't expand. So it would be static and eternal and he could have a steady state and therefore there would need to be no cause for the universe. But the evidence didn't show that. His own general relativity showed space, time and matter were co-relative. They came into existence together. And general relativity, by the way, has been confirmed to more than five decimal points. And then when he saw Hubble, he said, it had a beginning. And he repented of that fudge factor he put into his equations. Now, actually, Einstein was onto something. There, there is a fudge factor. It's actually called the cosmological constant. He just had the wrong value for it. This cosmological constant somehow keeps the universe accelerating, accelerating. And scientists are right now a little baffled by this. How is the universe accelerating? This dark matter, this dark energy, whatever they call it. The problem for scientists who really don't, we don't really don't know what it means, what this dark energy, dark matter, but we do know that if the cosmological constant, that this thing that keeps the universe accelerating, if it were altered by one in 10 to the 120th power, the universe wouldn't exist. <laughs> Going, what? Yeah, that's part of the fine tuning argument. The cosmological argument and the teleological argument the fine-tuning argument for the creation of, or for the design of the universe, these two arguments go hand in hand. I don't know if we'll get to that argument today, but it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling to think how fine-tuned the universe is, that if you were to change any one of a number of factors virtually imperceptibly, the universe would not exist, or if it did exist, it could in no way support life. So we know that space, time, and matter had a beginning out of non-being, out of nothing. 
because, in fact, we're sure of it. We have the second law, the universe expanding, the radiation afterglow, and Einstein's theory of general relativity. And for those of you that read, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We have other evidence in there called the great galaxy seeds, but we don't have time to get into that now. In any event, the universe had a beginning and we're sure of it. This is why Robert Jastrow, who was the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, wrote a book back in 1978 called God and the Astronomers, in which he said this, and he's an agnostic, or was an agnostic, he passed away several years ago. He said, the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential element in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis is the same. Then he went on, actually, in an interview to say this. He said, astronomers now found they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth, and that they have found that all this has happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. What? Why would an agnostic astronomer say it's scientifically proven that supernatural forces are at work? Because if all of nature had a beginning, and that's what the evidence shows, whatever created nature can't be a natural cause. It can't be made of nature. If space, time, and matter literally had a beginning out of nothing, then whatever caused it must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create. Why? To go from a state of nothingness to a state of creation, someone had to make a choice and only persons can make choices. The being would also have to be intelligent to have a mind to make a choice. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? Well, God, obviously. You say, well, how do you know it's the Christian God, Frank? We don't. Yet, this could be Allah at this point or some other theistic or deistic God. But if we keep going through the evidence that we go through, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and we actually go through some of this evidence in Hollywood Heroes, if you want a fun way of looking at this, Hollywood Heroes, how your favorite movies reveal God. If we keep going through that evidence... We're going to realize that the same being that walked out of the tomb 1,990 years ago is the same being in whose divine nature created the universe out of nothing. So you've got to see if Jesus rose from the dead, in other words, to see if the God that created the universe is the Christian God. We don't get there with one argument, with just the cosmological argument, but we do get six attributes. We get spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, and intelligent. Six attributes from one argument. By the way, it wasn't just Jastrow who said these kind of things. Paul Davies, a uh, physicist from Arizona State University, who's not a Christian, put it this way. The coming into being of the universe, as discussed in modern science, is not just a matter of imposing some sort of organization upon a previous incoherent state, but literally the coming into being of all physical things from nothing. What does he mean by nothing? Non-being. Aristotle had a good definition of nothing. He said, nothing is what rocks dream about. That's nothing. No space, no matter, no time. 
It must have been something spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent to bring that into existence, the universe into existence. There was. We'll get to much more right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Can you see why now? With Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network back in two minutes. Who else said the universe had a beginning out of nothing? And this aligns with what Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Arno Penzias, who helped discover the radiation afterglow, that's the R in our SURE acronym. Remember, S stands for Second Law of Thermodynamics, U stands for Universe Expanding, R stands for Radiation Afterglow, E stands for Einstein's Theory of General Relativity. Penzias said this, the best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. His colleague, Robert Wilson, said this, and both these guys won Nobel Prizes in physics, ladies and gentlemen, said, certainly there was something that set it all off. I can't think of a better theory of the origin, or I can't think of a better theory of the origin of the universe to match Genesis. George Smoot, who taught at UCAL berserkly, and won a Nobel Prize for uh, discovering what we call the great galaxy seeds. Get the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist to read more about that. Said this, there is no doubt that a parallel exists between the Big Bang as an event and the Christian notion of creation from nothing. Now, some of you may have heard, well, the James Webb Space Telescope has disconfirmed the Big Bang. Oh, contraire, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, go back a few months ago and listen to the interview I did with Stephen Meyer on this. Here's the bottom line to the interview. The James Webb Space Telescope has confirmed the Big Bang, particularly the radiation afterglow, or I should say the expansion rate of the universe. We've discovered that the red shift is even more dramatic than we thought, that the galaxies are streaming away from us faster than we thought in some areas. And that shows that there was a beginning. What, what's changed, apparently, is the theory of galaxy formation in the early universe. They discovered galaxies through the James Webb Space, Space Telescope that their previous theories of galaxy, galaxy formation could not account for. In other words, galaxies were created a lot earlier than what scientists previously thought. Okay, they got to retool that theory. But the, the, the Big Bang is left untouched in this. It's actually confirmed that there was a beginning, and it was a beginning in a great explosion. You say, well, wait a minute, Frank. Science is tentative. Things can change in science. As we just saw with the James Webb, you know, theories of galaxy formation need to be changed because we got new evidence. So maybe the evidence is going to change, and one day we're going to think that the universe is eternal like we used to think it was eternal because the science might change. That's always possible, but it's very unlikely in this case. And actually, you're not going to change the second law, as we've already said. The second law itself shows the universe had a beginning. Uh, but there's, I think, a more sound argument than science to show that the universe had to have a beginning. And that's the argument from the fact that there can't be an infinite number of days before today. This is the, an argument from philosophy which is not going to change. No scientific uh, discovery in the future is going to change this fact right now, that there can't be an infinite number of days before today. Why? Because if there were an infinite number of days before today, in other words, if the universe was eternal, the day we're in right now never would have gotten here. 
because you can't traverse an infinite number of days. Because before you got to today, you'd always have to live another day before you got to this one. Why? Because there's an infinite number of days before today. Well, if there's an infinite number of days before today, this day wouldn't have gotten here, but it's here, so there can only be a finite number of days before today. I know this can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough, but that's because this is <laughs> conceptually hard to get your mind around to think that there were an infinite number of days. There can't be. You can have an infinite number of points between, say, my hands. I'm holding them up for YouTube right now. And by the way, those of you who are not in our cross-examined community you ought to be because you can see all these uh, podcasts on video. Not that you want to, but you might want to. And there are several videos we put up there that are just germane or just exclusive to the cross-examined community. The cross-examined community is a place you can go where you can interact with people without fear of being doxxed or being insulted or having trolls come after you or any of that. These are serious people behind a very modest paywall to keep the trolls out where you can discuss all these issues. I'm on there. Our whole team is on there. A bunch of people who are part of the cross-examined community are on there. If you want to be a part of that, go to crossexamine.org, click on cross-examine community, you'll see it there. In any event, there can't be uh, an infinite number. There might be an infinite number of points between my two hands right now, but there can't be an infinite number of pieces of paper, right? There can only be so many. The same thing is true with days. Days are concrete things. Time is concrete. Um, you would never be able to traverse an infinite number of days. You can't do it. You could put an infinite number of points between my hands, abstract things, but not an infinite number of concrete things. So there can only be a finite number of days before today, which means time had a beginning, which, of course, this is one way to answer the who made God objection. What's the who made God objection? Well, who made God? I mean, if you're saying the universe had a beginning, don't you have to say God had a beginning? Because aren't you saying that everything has a cause? No, we're not saying everything has a cause. We're saying everything that comes to be has a cause. Don't misstate the law of causality. The law of causality doesn't say everything has a cause. The law of causality says everything that comes to be has a cause. The universe came to be. Therefore, the universe had a cause. But if the universe had a cause, if space, time, and matter had a cause... Then, as we said earlier, what could have caused space, time, and matter? Something that is spaceless, timeless. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're timeless, do you have a cause? Do you have a beginning? No, you don't. So whatever created time is timeless, which means whatever created time didn't have a cause, didn't have a beginning. You say, well, that's not fair. Can't I have an eternal universe if you can have an eternal God? Well, if there was evidence the universe was eternal, you could. The problem is there isn't, as we've just pointed out. We're sure it had a beginning. And we've got this argument from the fact that time had a beginning, too, which is even more sure than the science. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that today, um, or in years past, scientists had no problem believing in an eternal universe, but as soon as the evidence point pointed out that the universe had a beginning, that the universe is not eternal, and people started saying, well, there must be an eternal God then. People are going, atheists are going, you can't have an eternal God. Wait a minute. You, for years, you believed in an eternal universe. No problem. As soon as we say the universe had a beginning, uh, so there must be an, an eternal God, you're going, no, you can't have an eternal God. Why can you have an eternal universe but not an eternal God? 
Why is that so hard to comprehend? The universe did indeed have a beginning, and we're sure of it. So, we've got two options. Either no one created something out of nothing, or someone created something out of nothing. Those are the two options we have for the beginning of the universe. What makes more sense? No one created something out of nothing, or someone created something out of nothing. I had an atheist at Texas A&M once said, Oh, I think no one created something out of nothing's more reasonable. I said, no one? That doesn't make any sense. Someone created something out of nothing. That makes sense because you got a miracle worker, right? You got someone. Number one is a miracle with no miracle worker that no one created something out of nothing. That's clearly absurd. I mean, do you realize that everyone believes in at least one miracle? Christians believe that someone created something out of nothing, and we also believe in many other miracles in the Bible. But atheists believe that no one created something out of nothing. In fact, there are people like Lawrence Krauss, a former uh, physicist from um, Arizona State, I think he was, or was it University of Arizona? I think he was, no, he was Arizona State. He's not there anymore. But he wrote a book called A Universe from Nothing. Um... And uh, I responded to it in the book, Stealing from God. I don't have time to get into the details here, but he was trying to say that the entire universe could come into existence out of nothing without a cause. And uh, of course, his definition of nothing wasn't really nothing. It was something, but that's a whole nother topic. But it seems to me it's the atheists who have all the faith to believe that someone, some pre-existing uncaused first cause and unmoved mover, as Aristotle might say, created something out of nothing. That makes sense. But to say that no one created something out of nothing, that that miracle, that miracle takes a lot more faith than to believe that someone created something out of nothing. In fact, to use Leibniz's famous question, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing at all? In other words, if there is no God, why does anything exist? Because if there was no God, nothing would exist. There has to be an unmoved mover. There has to be an uncreated creator who created everything else and keeps it moving. That's what all men know to be God. Now, Robert Jastrow summed it up best when he said this. This is the way he ends his book, by the way. The book, again, is called God and the Astronomers. Again, Jastrow, a scientist, an agnostic, still wrote a book called God and the Astronomers because he knew where the evidence pointed after he, he's gone through the evidence that the universe had a beginning, some of the evidence I mentioned here, second law, universe expanding, radiation afterglow, Einstein's theory of general relativity. Here's what Jastrow says to end the book. He says, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. Yeah, no doubt reading Genesis 101. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which there was no word for universe in Hebrew. Heavens and the earth meant the whole universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When was the beginning? The text doesn't say. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the evidence shows. That's why a guy like Jastrow, who's not a Bible believer, can say the biblical view of the origin of the universe appears to be correct. So 
There appears to be a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator out there, created and sustains all things. We've just looked at one argument today for this. Future shows will look at other arguments. But I don't have enough faith to be an atheist after looking at that. And if you want to know the essentials of Christianity, make sure you join me. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see Life's Compass, Jesus, You, and the Essentials of the Faith that starts next week. Don't forget, Ball State University and Indiana Purdue University this coming week, the 28th and the 30th. Hope to see you there if you can. If not, we'll be streaming it online. See you here next week. God bless.